Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The Two-Footed Podcast is brought to you by EPLindex.com and our presenting sponsor, Liberty Shield. Liberty Shield is a VPN provider. A virtual privacy network allows you to go online, change your location, access things you're geo-blocked from while keeping your data safe. So as an example, if you are a UK expat and want access to BBC iPlayer to watch Match of the Day or ITV Hub or all four, but you get that message that says this content is not available in your location, a Liberty Shield VPN gets you around that block, allows you to watch whatever you want on those services while also keeping your data safe. And it goes further than that. It allows you to open up Netflix's entire library by just changing your IP address. Liberty Shield is the number one rated VPN provider on Trustpilot with five-star ratings across the board. So go to libertyshield.com right now, use the code EPL25 and get either the hardware package or the software package. The hardware package is a router that you plug into your existing router and any item you want to change the IP address on, be it your phone or your television, you connect that to the new Liberty Shield router. All other items can remain connected to your existing router. There's also a software package, which is instantly downloadable to your device, and you can get using straight away. Again, libertyshield.com, EPL25 for 25% off at checkout. We're also brought to you by Home of Hopcroft, a giftware and homeware company located in Scotland, but shipping worldwide. Check out homeofhopcroft.co.uk and do check out the EPL Index and Anfield Index shops, which you'll find on Etsy, Use the codes EPL10 or RED10 for 10% off at checkout. And lastly, do remember to check out A Tad Predictable, hosted by Tadiwa. That podcast is on this feed before every Premier League match week. And then the EPL Roundtable, hosted by Kevin DeVries, on its own EPL Roundtable feed. So just search EPL Roundtable in your podcast device. And that's out after every match week. Now, on with the show. What's good, boys and girls? Two-footed podcast. Today, 
is thursday it is the first of february hope you're all well the weather has improved from yesterday so all is good uh we'll start with the asian cup from yesterday iran secured their place in the quarterfinals beating syria on penalties but they will be without Mehdi Taremi for the next game after he was sent off. He'd opened the scoring with the penalty. Kreben had equalized for Syria. Taremi was sent off in the last minute, forcing Iran to play with 10 men for the entirety of extra time and denying them someone who surely would have been one of their penalty takers in the shootout. But they still managed to score all five and go through 5-3. So they will take on Japan in the quarterfinals in what should be a great game. Tajikistan, Jordan, Australia, South Korea, Iran, Japan, and Qatar, Uzbekistan kicking off tomorrow at 11.30. Second game is at 3.30. And then Saturday, we have the other two at the same times. Again, semi-finals will be Tuesday, Wednesday, and the final is next Saturday. So, all is good in the Asian Cup. We know where we stand with the AFCON. In the Premier League last night, we had three games. Manchester City beat Burnley 3-1. Two goals from Julian Alvarez, one from Rodri. Game was over on 46 minutes. But Burnley did have a really, really good chance which Amdoni fired over the bar after two City players took each other out and he was allowed through, kind of rushed his chance and put too much on it. But they got one back in stoppage time. David Datro Fafana in on loan from Chelsea squared up Josco Gvardiol and just ran past him as if he wasn't there. It was quite concerning if you're a City fan looking at the long term with Gvardiol, an £80 million defender, and just how slow his first step looks. Um, he squared it across and Alda Keel couldn't miss. A good win for City gets them rolling. They get Haaland back last night. KDB looked sharp again. He got a good assist in the game, as did Matthias Nunes on the first um, Alvarez goal. So City moved to 46 points from 21 games played. They have a game in hand. It's four straight wins on the bounce for them. They're starting to look their usual formidable self as they generally do around this time of the season. And it's going to take a monumental effort to finish above them. Even with the gap that's there at the moment, which is five points, it's going to take a huge effort to stay ahead of them because we know what they're capable of. We know that under Pep Guardiola, they are able to run off long runs of consistent victories. It's what they've done since Pep came in. If you look back at the 17-18 season, which is the first season that they won the title under Pep, of course, it's quite historic because they took 100 points from the 38 Premier League games. They win the first game. They draw the second game. They win the third game and win every single game up to match week 20. Like, that is a staggering run. 18 wins in a row. Title over. So the early doors under Pep prove what they're capable of. 18-19, again, 
a historic performance from City as they take 98 points. But this year they get pushed. Liverpool pushed them right to the brink. But again, you look at what they're capable of. They win on match day 20 against Southampton. And they win every single game bar one the rest of the way. Four wins in a row, a defeat at Old Tra- up at Newcastle. And then they rattle off 14 wins in a row to finish out the season. Like, that's incredible. To win 18 of 19 games is incredible. Now, 1920, they did slip and Liverpool went on and won the league. 2021, if you remember, they didn't start the season in great form. And up to match week 16, they're sitting in eighth. But the table is very, very compact. And by match week 20, they're top. And they remain top the remainder of the season. But they rose from ninth to first off the back of 13 wins in a row. That's just what they're capable of. 13 wins in a row in a season where they weren't great. But they still rattle off that run. We get to 21-22. Again, they win the league. But again, Liverpool pushed them all the way. But in that season, you've got a 12-game winning streak, starting match day 11, ending match day 23. And even, even better than their ability to string off these runs wins is just their ability to avoid defeats. Last season, obviously we know that Arsenal won the league in December. But then when City decided it was time to get moving, which came after defeat in match day 22, they just ran away with the title. They win two, they draw one, then they win 12 in a row, and the title's over. Nobody's touching them. They could afford to rest everybody for the last two games. So that's what they're capable of. 12, 13, 14, 15 games in a row, they can just run off and win. And that's why I would still have them as favourites to win the league. We don't know yet with this Liverpool team, are they capable of doing the same? Because this Liverpool team is quite new. Now, Liverpool put it right up to them in 21-22, but again, this team isn't that team. You look at the changes this season to that season, Joe Gomez is in at left back. The midfield is entirely changed. The front line is entirely changed. Diaz came in. Jota was there. But Darwin Nunes wasn't there. Cody Gakpo wasn't there. Now, they will get Salah back, and he's obviously the one link. But Jota was a squad player for much of that year. Diaz came in in the January Liverpool have changed quite a bit. Can they run off 10 wins in a row, 12 wins in a row? They've already won the last four in a row. Can they extend that to 12, 14? Possibly. Possibly. But the worry for them is that they could do that and look over their shoulder and City are only two points behind them. And that's that's the thing with going head-to-head with this Manchester City team. 
is that they are just capable of relentlessly running you down, getting ahead, and then not giving up, not slowing down. Now, Liverpool do have a five-goal advantage as things stand, but again, City have the game in hand, so should they beat Brentford, which you'd expect them to do by a couple of clear goals, that will shrink the goal difference as well. Liverpool obviously should be three points clear, but we're denied the point they deserved away to Spurs by a very, very poor VAR decision. It is those two for the title. It is. Arsenal can pretend they're in the mix, but they're not. Even if Arsenal beat Liverpool at the weekend, you still wouldn't have any faith that they can win the league. There's no balance to the Arsenal team. They don't have an explosive enough attack. There's no elite level progression through the midfield. And defensively, when teams are physical with them, they don't like it at all. If Liverpool play like they did last night when they go to the Emirates at the weekend, Arsenal are not going to cope well with that. The issue for Liverpool is performing like that, away from home especially. Liverpool last night put on a performance for the ages, demolishing Chelsea, winning 4-1, Diogo Jota, Conor Bradley, Dominic Zabozlai and Luis Diaz with the goals and Kunku got a consolation for Chelsea. 4-1 didn't reflect Liverpool's dominance. 8-1 would have been a more accurate reflection. That's how good Liverpool were last night and how bad Chelsea were, how bad Chelsea were made. There was about an eight-minute stretch after Liverpool made a quadruple sub in which Chelsea looked like they maybe belonged on the same pitch. And other than that, they got demolished from start to finish. Liverpool hit the woodwork five times, four of them by Darwin Nunes. One was a penalty that he should have scored. One was a header that he should have scored. One of them was a great save by uh, Petrovic, who, to his credit, was the only reason Chelsea didn't get demolished. It and, it and some poor poor luck with finishing. But all of Chelsea's starters should hang their heads in shame today. And of the players that came off the bench, Chukwemeka and Kunku and Gusto are the only ones that can really hold their head up. Mudrik was awful when he came on. Kaiseida, the only thing he did was kick people. But the starters, De Sassi, awful, Silva, appalling, Badiashile, appalling, Chilwell, a disgrace. He came to the game last night as captain. He did three not- notable things. Number one, dive. Number two, try to get involved in some sort of wrestling match with Diogo Jota for the second goal. And number three, get hooked off at halftime. Caicedo and Fernandez were appalling in midfield together. Uh, Mudeki was awful, Gallagher was awful, Sterling was awful, and I genuinely didn't know Cole Palmer was playing until about half an hour into the game. Genuinely, had no idea. Wasn't sure whether it was Broly up front or who it was, but I knew they hadn't touched the ball. Um, The Caicedo-Fernandez thing is, is an issue, and it's an issue that they're going to have to address. It doesn't work, and I don't think it's going to work either. They're Brilliant individually. They're genuinely top, top level players individually. But together they don't work at all. Because midfields aren't about 
putting together the two best individuals. The same at centre-back. It's about a partnership. It's about finding complementing skill sets, not overlapping skill sets. And there's too much overlap between Fernandez and Caicedo in terms of what they want to do and where they want to play. If you swapped out Caicedo for Amadou Onana, that partnership makes so much more sense. I even think if you swap out um, Fernandez for Onana, it would make a lot of sense. But the ideal partner for Caicedo is someone more like Alexis McAllister. What we saw from Alexis when he was at Brighton. They're both brilliant. I just don't think that partnership is going to work. And they need a midfield partnership so that Nkunku can be their 10. And it has to be somebody coming in that's got some dynamic nature to their game. I mean, Caicedo, Chukwemeka, potentially that could work. Carney had a, a decent cameo last night off the bench. Even Ogachukwu and Fernandez could work. Could Caicedo and Lavia work? Maybe. I don't think Enzo and Lavia works. Maybe that what they need to do is sell Enzo. Maybe that's their path forward. That could help them, you know, just unclog the midfield area. The problem for them is they spent a ridiculous sum on Enzo. They're not going to get that money back. And because of how they amortized it, it's going to sit on their books for a long, long time. And they're not going to make much, if any, profit off that deal. Like they thought they were being smarter than everybody else signing players to these ridiculously long contracts. They have 13 players who are contracted into the 2030s. We've just entered 2024. They have 13 players with at least six years left on their contracts. And like in case they haven't checked the league table, they're 10th. They're two points clear of Wolves, who play at home tonight to a bad Manchester United team. If Wolves win tonight, Wolves go ninth. United drop to 10th. Wolves could actually go eighth if they win by three goals. If they win by two, if they win by one, if they win one nil, they'll go ahead of Chelsea and United, and Chelsea will be eleventh. But that is, they spent all that money, and there's so much talent in that squad. But there's no team in that squad. They haven't bought a team. They haven't built a team. They've gone out and bought all the shiny things. It's almost like what they've done is they've Googled best young right back FIFA 2023. Malo Gusto's there. We'll take him. Best young centre backs FIFA 2023. Wesley Fofana. We'll take him. Badi Ashile. We'll take him. Oh, look, we already own Levi Colwell. Maybe we shouldn't buy Badi Ashile. I know, buy him anyway. But what's the partnership? What's the, the skill set that meshes? Now, I do think Fafana and Colwell could be the pair, but Fafana has had a bunch of injuries before joining them. He joined them with an injury, and yet they seem surprised then when he has another injury. 
Like, look at all the left-back options they have. And yet they loan out Ian Matson, who is exactly what they really need down that side right now. And they've been playing Colwell there. Last night, Badi Yashida played the second half in that position. It just isn't good. The same thing in midfield. Again, it's like they Googled best young midfielders. Enzo Fernandez, Benfica, Moises Caicedo, Brighton. Oh, well, we could buy both of that. We could buy them. Well, which one? Oh, well, should we just buy both? But do they fit together? Ah, it doesn't matter. They're good players. But it does matter. It does matter. Midfields are about partnerships. Think of the great midfields over the years and the pairings that work together. Albertini and Desai. Think of that pairing. Keane and Scholes. Vieira and Petit. Vieira and Gilberto Silva. Essien and Makaleli. One who sits, one who goes. Alonso and Mascherano. De Javi, Busquets, Iniesta, three. That didn't work as well as it did just because they were great players. It worked because their skill sets complemented each other. Because they made sense together. Because they weren't all trying to play in the same areas. KDB, Fernandinho, Silva. KDB, Rodri, Gundogan. Complementing skill sets. Some overlap is fine. But the amount of over overlap between Enzo and Caicedo is just too much. And there's not enough dynamic force between the two of them. Chelsea are in trouble. Like, it's very hard to look at them right now and see them becoming a functioning team anytime soon. And I know they'll point to injuries. And that's... That's okay. They've had a lot of injuries. But I mean, look at the size of your squad. You don't really have the excuse. And if we look at your players who are out injured, Wesley Fafana, you bought him knowing he was injury prone. Reese James, I want to come back to. Mark Kukurea, he's just a little bit unfortunate. Lavia has been very, very unfortunate. Robert Sanchez. Well, the fellow playing in goal now is much better than him anyway. So you have to ask the question, why was Sanchez starting over him for the first part of the season? Trevo Chalaba. The manager has made it clear he has no interest in playing him. Levi Colwood is a short-term injury. And Nicholas Jackson is at AFCON. And Ogachukwu's injury. Yeah, it's, it's unfortunate. But would he be getting in the team anyway? Would Lavia be getting in the team anyway? Because you spent over $100 million on two different midfielders. They have to play. They have to play. I'd imagine the manager's under a bit of pressure to play them together, even though they don't work. But let's look at Reese James. Let's look at Reese James and his career. Because he gets talked about as one of the best right backs in the world. And when he's fit, he absolutely is. There's no question. When he's fit, he's, he's absolutely outstanding. In the 18-19 season, he was on loan at Wigan. He played 45 out of 46 games in the league. Played 46 games in all competitions because he played in the FA Cup for them as well. 
in the four and a half years he's been at Chelsea, he's only played 46 or more games once. The 2021 season when they won the European Cup. He played 47 games in all competitions. 32 in the league, 5 in the FA Cup, 10 in the Champions League. The season before that, he'd played 37 games in all competitions, but he missed 14 games in the league. He missed 14 games. That's a lot to miss in the league. And it wasn't because he's been rested or or anything like that. He was injured. 21-22, he plays 39 games in all competitions, but he misses 12 games in the league. Last season, he only played 24 games. He missed 22 league matches. This season, he's played nine games. He's only played eight in the league. He's missed 14 league matches. He's missed 21 games in all competitions. Now, he probably wouldn't have played in the early rounds of the EFL Cup. Maybe the first three three games of that he wouldn't have played in, but he would have played the last three. But just in the league alone, the amount of games that he misses is is truly extraordinary. And, you know, again, we, we talk about him as one of the best right backs in the world, but he's not a great defender. He's a decent defender, but he's not a great defender. But what he's meant to be is he's meant to be this attacking dynamic, do-everything type. In the 24 games in the league that he's played since the start of last season, he has one goal and two assists. Connor Bradley has played two games in the league for Liverpool, has one goal and three assists. He's missed 68 league matches in the last four and a half years, and he's not going to be back until, was is it March they're saying? Yeah, the end of March, the very end of March. How many games do Chelsea have in the league between now and then? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. The earliest return given for him is Burnley on the 30th of March. If he's back for that, that's another seven league games that he'll have missed. That's 75 games. That's one short of two full seasons in four and a half years. If he misses another game between now and the end of the season, other than the next seven that he's expected to miss, that'll be two full seasons of Premier League games that he'll have missed in five years. You cannot rely on him. And if anyone at Chelsea had any common sense, they would be looking for a way to sell him while he still has big value, while Real Madrid might be foolish enough to give you a significant chunk of money. And even if he goes there and stays fit, if you could get 80 million for him and invest it properly in things you need, you'd be much better off. You've got Malo Gusto there, who's an excellent right back, really, really excellent right back. I'm sure there's a good young right back somewhere in your academy. You had Livermento, you had Tariq Lamptey, I'm sure there's somebody else coming along that you could chuck in there. 
there has to be somebody that you could throw in and get, you know, 10 to 12 games a season out of. Maybe Alfie Gilchrist looks a player, looks a talented player. Maybe you go Gusto and him as your right backs. At left back, personally, I'd be looking to sell Kukurea for whatever I can get for him. And I'd be looking to bring back Ian Matson. And I go Chilwell and Matson as my left backs. In the middle, like I said, I think the partnership that could work is Fafana and Colwell. I would be keeping Trevo Chalab- Chalabut without question. And then you've got Desassi and Badi Ashila. That's your five centre backs. And you're going to be in <clears throat> significant profit because you'll have sold Reese James, Kukurea, you'll have sold Malang Sar. I'd be keeping Bashir Humphreys as well, maybe loaning him out, but I'd be keeping him on the books. Be getting rid of Thiago Silva and his salary and the fact that he is a liability. But all of a sudden you'd have a defense that works. And frankly, I'd stick with Petrovic and and Selena. Selenina as the goalkeepers until I know for certain that they're not good enough. But they may well be. They may well be great. Selenina is very, very highly rated. But I wouldn't be spending any more money in that position. I would be looking to move Robert Sanchez on, though. Because why did you spend $25 on him? Why? He's not a good goalkeeper. Not at this level. He's fine for a mid-table club. He's not a goalkeeper for a top four team, a team with real ambition. You know, in midfield, I'd keep Ogachuku, I'd keep Chuk- uh, Chuk Wemeke, you'd keep Cole Palmer. I'd sell Conor Gallagher personally. I don't think he's quite good enough for where you want to be. I'd keep Kaysedai, I'd keep Lavia, I'd keep Andre Santos, and I'd sell one of Enzo and Caicedo. I'd sell one of them. And use that money to bring in a replacement. If you decide to sell Caicedo, like I said, I'd go and buy Onana. If you decide to sell Enzo, which there are some rumors that he's not happy there, then the partner's a bit tougher to find. But, you know, you employ all of the scouts. Go and find somebody. It could even be Onana. You could just play the two of them and let Onana go box to box, which is what he wants to do. You've got Nkunku as your 10. You've got Cole Palmer, who I don't think is a, is a starter for a team that wants to win the league. So he'd be the backup. I'd go Sterling left wing with Mudrik as the backup because you can't sell him because he's basically going to be worthless to you. Um, You've got Noni Mudeki. I'd probably look to bring in one winger and have Mudeki as the backup. And then up front, you've got Brohia, you've got Washington, you've got Datro Fafana, uh, you've got Dion Richards, but you still need your nine. So you look to sell Brohia and Jackson and Washington are your depth. So you're looking striker, right winger, and one in midfield. You're looking at three players to bring in, but you've got loads to sell. Loads to sell. 
you could do it and break even. You could do it and make profit. But I don't expect them to do it. I expect them to just continue to try and stockpile players in the most haphazard way imaginable. And what's funny as well is you start looking at those are the players that I named that are in the squad right now. The only one who's away that I mentioned is Datro Fafana. But when you look at their overall squad and you see some of the other names that they've got out on loan, like it's just, it's far too many players. At the moment, they have Kepa, Eddie Beach, Jamie Cumming, Teddy Sharman Lowe, and Gabriel Slanina on loan. That's five goalkeepers currently out on loan. Now, three of them are academy players, but they're kind of senior academy players. Eddie Beach is 20. Jamie Cumming is 24. You'd, you'd wonder why he's still contracted to the club. Teddy Sherman Lowe is 20. You, you've got to cut one, cut bait with one of Beach or Sherman Lowe because Slanina's only a kid. Petrovic is young. Kepa, I think, obviously, they want to sell. You've got Bashir Humphreys and Ian Matson on loan. I'd be bringing them back. You've got Tino Andrin, Omari Richardson, Dion Rankin, Harvey Vale. Harvey Vale is one I didn't even mention. I mean, he's a big, big talent. Maybe he's the one that fills that right-sided spot if he becomes the player Chelsea have been expecting him to be. But he can play pretty much anywhere. I still don't understand the decision, by the way, on Lewis Hall. Still don't understand it. I didn't mention Angelo Gabriel. I didn't mention Romelu Lukaku. Didn't mention Mason Burstow. Didn't mention Hakim Zayas. Like There's just far too many players. There's far too many players. If they're going to struggle to register all their players for the second half of the season. I didn't mention Leo Castledine, who's another really talented young midfielder that they're very, very high on there. There's just there's far too many players. And you still hear them being linked with this winger and that winger. I mean, they've been linked with Estevão and they've been linked with half of Brazil, half of... like It's just stupid. There's no plan there at all. There really isn't. Angelo Gabriel is another young wide player that they've just got out on loan. And remember, like they own Strasbourg as well, or at least... The, the company that owned them owned Strasbourg. So you think they're not stockpiling players there? Like Abba Garcia, Habib Diara, two massively talented players. They're both going to end up at Chelsea. Of course they are. But they don't have spots for them. Now, maybe Sila at left back. Maybe. Habib Diara is another midfielder. I mean, he's a 20-year-old midfielder. They've got a whole bunch of really talented 20-year-old midfielders. But you know they're going to end up there. And it's just going to cause more chaos. Because there's no plan in any of this. The other game last night, Tottenham 3, Brentford 2. Brentford went 1-0 up. Ivan Tony got himself into a great position. His shot was saved by Vicario, saved by Vicario. And Neil Mopay followed up 
to make it 1-0. Game went to half time at 1-0. Spurs came out in the second half in a mood. Uh, Destiny Adoji equalised on 48 minutes after decent work by Timo Werner and then a little bit of luck when a, a ball ricocheted back to him. Brennan Johnson made it 2-1 to Spurs on 49 minutes after really good work from Timo Werner. And then Richarlison on 56 minutes, uh, aided and abetted by James Madison, made it 3-1. Ivan Tony pulled one back. Baptiste had a chance to equalise. Tony himself missed a good chance. Spurs had a couple of chances. It was a good game. It was a fun game. It was end-to-end for, for stretches. And Spurs move back into the top three, at the top four with that win. They go above Villa on goal difference. Uh, sorry, they go above Villa on goals scored. They have the same goal difference. So Liverpool have 51 points. City have 46, but a game in hand. Then Arsenal on 46 with worse goal difference. Then Tottenham on 43. Villa on 43. Again, Goal difference separating them. Goal scored separating them there. Then it's an eight-point gap to West Ham. But, of course, West Ham played tonight. Uh, they host Bournemouth. Also tonight, Wolves against Manchester United. Um, West Ham are three points ahead of Newcastle with the, the, the game less played. Then Brighton and Newcastle are level on points. Newcastle have the vastly superior goal difference. Manchester United also level on points, but a vastly inferior goal difference to both. Then it's a point to Chelsea and two points to Wolves. And should Wolves win, like I said earlier, they'll jump Chelsea and Manchester United. They could potentially jump Brighton with a heavy win. Then Fulham, 25 points. Bournemouth, 25 points, but two games in hand. One is that game against West Ham tonight, which you wouldn't put it past them to go and win. And the others at home to Luton. So potentially they could win both, which would put them level on points with Chelsea. Then it's uh, Crystal Palace on 24, Brentford on 22, but they have a game in hand against City. Nottingham Forest on 20, Luton on 19, but that game in hand against Bournemouth. And then Everton on 18, with Burnley on 12, and Sheffield United on 10, bringing up the rear. I do wonder if Burnley will be active today and try and get something done. It looks like Sheffield Wednesday or Sheffield United rather are going to get Mason Holgate uh, in on loan. Everton are going to recall him from his loan at Southampton where he's not been first choice and loan him straight back out. We'll go to break. When we come back, we've got some questions. See you after this. Right. Welcome back. So being it's Thursday, we do have questions. We actually have, I think, nine questions today, which is good. So we'll jump straight in. Chris Colby. Who are some current players that you enjoy watching play for other teams but would never want to have them at Liverpool? Could be mentality, fit and system, injury record, age, etc., etc. Um, I assume that's, you know, from now I wouldn't want to have them because KDB would be an obvious one. His age, his injury record. I love watching him play, but you couldn't justify that kind of move and that kind of wage at this point, given what we've just been through with Thiago. Um, I just don't think he could do it. Um, who are some others, though? Reese James, 
I love watching Reese James play. And if I could have Reese James and Trent in the same team, I'd love to do that. But again, injuries. He, they've just been over, over his injuries. He, he just couldn't do it. Um, I love Jan Oblak, but given how we play, he wouldn't work for us. I love Jose Jimenez, but his injury record just it, the guy can't hold up. So he'd have to be a no. Um, hmm. Bernardo Silva. I just, I don't think his personality would fit in. The same with Bruno. Bruno's mentality. Now, maybe that's just a United thing because he didn't used to cry arse as much when he was at Sporting. But the way he's behaved and carried himself at United, he'd have to be a firm no. Um, I'd love to have Suarez back, but then I wouldn't because of his age. Busquets, again, the age. Um, I mean, I always thought Mary Demerell would be a good Klopp centre-back, but then when you see him in his mid-twenties push for a move to Saudi, that makes it a hard no. Milinkovic-Savage, fit in the system, age now 29, unwillingness to press the way he, like Milinkovic Savage when he first went to Lazio was a machine. And then over the years, he got sort of progressively lazier. And then in his prime, he decides to go and play in Saudi. So, you know, that'd be a hard pass now at this point. Um, Isaac Gilding, been tempted since Friday to ask a a a quap, a clop related question. But there's actually been enough talk around this decision. I also missed last week's question. So here's a couple completely unrelated to Klopp. If you could change or add one aspect to these players' skill sets to make them better, more complete footballers, what would you add? Harvey Elliott. Speed. If you could give Harvey Elliott more speed, he would be a hell of a footballer. Connor Gallagher. First touch technical level you'd have to improve it he's bustly he's dynamic he's relentless he's got a great mindset he can get you goals but his first touch is very very questionable pedro poro a bit more size he's five eight i think a bit more size and i think he'd be an absolute monster a bit more size and he'd basically be ashraf hakimi ebrici ezi more pace, more pace, or more resilience to injuries. I'd probably go with that because I love how he plays and I love the fact that he does play the game at his own speed. If you could make him more resilient to injuries, <clears throat> that would be it. Uh, Josco Gvardiol. Hmm. I love Gradiol as a centre-back, left of a three. Don't like him as a right-back in a four. 
I think if he was a bit more mobile, he'd be an all-timer in midfield because of how good he is on the ball and how good he can be 1v1. If he was more mobile, I think you could make him into an un- an unbelievable six. I think if you put him there now, he'd look more like Teon Koopminers. Um, Sander Berger. I think he was on track to be a hell of a player until that horrible ankle injury. So if I could just take away that ankle injury and, and get him back on the track he was on, I think that's what I'd do. Costa Simicus. He's decent pace, a good crosser. He can use both feet. He's a good passer. With Costas, I think he needs sort of 10% across the board. That's what I feel like with Costas. He needs sort of 10% everywhere. But if you were to go at one, I guess if you gave him elite level pace, because he's a good dribbler. So if you gave him elite level pace and he could play as a ball carrying wing back, I think he'd be very, very good. Uh, Rodrigo Bentoncourt. He's just very one-paced, isn't he? Like, he's a good player. Make him more dynamic. That's what you'd want with him. Ivan Tony, I'd love to make three years younger. Because I think then you'd have a shot at Ivan Tony becoming one of the best strikers in the world. Uh, Vitali Janelt. Vitali Janelt. Again, he's kind of good everywhere. He can play multiple positions. I think if his passing was of a higher level, because defensively, I think he's very, very good. So better passing. Uh, which players from any era would you pick to help assist carry out the following scenarios? Change a tire. Hmm. Hmm. James Milner, because you just know that he knows how to do it. He's just that type. He doesn't, like James Miller doesn't get a plumber around. He does it himself. He's that type. He just fixes stuff. He's probably got a shed with tools in it. Um, Cook your dinner. Oh. I guess Laurent Blanc. I think I've read before that he's a good chef. I'll go Laurent Blanc. Uh, put up some shelves. I've used I've used the Milner card. And Milner'd be really pedantic about this. Really pedantic about this. Gareth Barry. He'll get it done right. Dig a trench. You want someone that's going to do do things to the letter, like someone that's going to go all in on, on something like this. Um, you know, someone like Jordan Henderson, you tell him to dig a hole and he'll dig you to Australia, but not Jordan Henderson because he's a terrible set of lads. Um, I'll go with Andy Robertson to dig a trench. Robo, you tell Robo to dig a trench, he'll dig you a good trench. Drive you to the doctor's. Oh, 
See, the last person you'd want to be Darwin, because he'd drive you there, but you don't know where you'd end up. You'd end up somewhere, but it might not be the doctors. Um, but I want someone that can drive fairly quick for looking to get to the doctors. I'll go, I'll go Marcus Rashford, because he seems like a good lad. Uh, recommend you a book. Hmm. I'll go Alexis McAllister. Seems like he might have decent taste. Hoover the house. I want someone that's going to be thorough. Go Conrad Lamer. Conrad Lamer. He's getting into all the corners in behind the TVs, pulling out the couch. That house is going to be hoovered. And walk the dogs. Molly's going to scream at them, whoever they are. So. It's going to have to be somebody that can just hold a firm line. Go Roy Keane. Roy Keane loves dogs. So go Roy Keane. Um, how confident would you be any footballers could actually carry out most of these? I think the older generation could have. And I think, I think players that kind of move abroad at young ages and are kind of forced to do stuff for themselves... Now, most of them now will just have, you know, people do these things for them. Like, they'd have a chef, they'd have a cleaner. They'd they'd hire a trench digger if they needed to. But older players, I feel like, you know, like the likes of Roy Keane, the likes of Gary Neville, I'd imagine, could do much of these things. Gary Neville. Gary Neville might be someone that you get in to put up some shelves, actually. So I reckon he, he'd make sure they were done right. Uh, Matt JT. After Friday's announcement, I went down a YouTube rabbit hole looking for something to cheer me up and found the old Mourinho puppet show. What do you... I love that. I love that show. Be special. Um, ah, voyeur. That is one of the funniest things going. What are some of your favourite all-time or current football parodies or things you turn to when you need to laugh? I often enjoy re-watching the James Milner, Andy Robertson um, videos that Liverpool put out. They were they were funny. Robbo in particular is just very, very funny. And Milner, to his credit, has has really good delivery. Um I I watched the uh the Zabozlai Gravenberg Kanate video where they go to the the bagel place, the bagelry. It's absolutely brilliant. Just, the, the three of them come across as such likable lads. There's great chemistry, great friendship between them. And Zabozlai's delivery on sometimes you win, sometimes you learn, today you learn to Kanate is just incredible. Um, the Mourinho puppet show is, is top, top class though. Like it is top, top class, but the one for me that I always go to is Apre Match, um, which if you're not Irish, you won't know. It was a parody that was done of Liam Brady, John Giles, Eamon Dunphy and Bill O'Hurley, who were the presenters of Champions League games and that on RTE television or RTE television, considering the T is for television, Radio Telefish Aaron. Um 
it was just parody that was done, and it is absolutely brilliant. These three impressionists do it. The three same lads, actually, there's there's probably four or five of them involved, but the three main lads were also involved in the Aikino play, which is one of the funniest things you'll ever see. If you've never had a chance to see it, it basically tells the the tale of Roy Keane and his fallout with the Irish national team set in ancient Rome or ancient Greece. I think it's ancient Greece, actually, but it is just genius. It is absolute genius. So, yeah, Apre match and, and the, the different things that those lads did, that, that would be the go-to for me. Um, right, we have questions here from Mikhail Campbell. What, in your opinion of the... What is your opinion of the rule in football that if a player removes his or her jersey, they get automatically booked? Uh, I think it's a shambles. I genuinely do. I don't understand the idea that you should be booked for that. Like, I I don't understand over-celebrating. Like, yeah, fair enough if you go leaping into the crowd or something. Maybe, but I, I just think it's so stupid. Like, the game's meant to be fun. Let the players have fun as well. What are some laws in football that you would like to change for the betterment of the game? Um, That would be one for certain. I'd like to see the game become more balanced. So I'd like to see us a, a bit more physicality be allowed to, because we've skewed the game so far from where it was in the nineties and early two thousands to make it so much more attacker friendly. And I'd like to see it go back the other way a little bit. I just, I just don't think we get enough good football. Um, I'd like to see a rule where you can have nine subs, but three of them have to be Academy graduates or, you know, Academy, Academy players at least. Um, And if you're making, five subs, one of them has to be one of your academy players. But the biggest one I would like to see changed is the concussion rule. So for me, if a player has a suspected concussion, you should get a free substitution. Now, that concussion is to be assessed by an independent doctor, not someone connected to either club. So every week the Premier League would need to have 10 independent doctors for 10 games and they would make decisions based on their assessment of the player. If they deem that the player is not concussed and the manager decides not to put him back on, then the substitution counts as a substitution. If they deem the player is concussed, then the substitution is a, is an extra sub. So you, you'd actually get six subs in the game. Uh, they make the decision on whether or not the player re-enters the game not the player, not the coach, not the physios. This independent doctor makes that decision and takes it out of the hands of everybody else. That's the, the big change I'd like to make. Um, I know you talked about not being impressed by Simone and Zaghi's football with Carol Matchett. Could you elaborate on this? What do you make of Inter's transfer business in their season so far? Do you think Inter will win 
uh, Serie A and are they a dark horse to go one better at this time in the Champions League? I just don't like the way Inter build up. I don't like their possession. I don't like how it's very predictable. Like, it's very, very predictable. It's it's a crossing frenzy far too often for me. I think they struggle to break down stubborn defences. They're so heavily reliant this season in particular on Laturo. Now, they've got really good players, but I, I just I don't like his football. I just think it's a little bit stale, a little bit stagnant. It's not as... There's not as much movement from his players as there was when he was at Lazio. The football is not, the build-up is not as good. The build-up is not as good. Um, as for the transfer business, so they got Aslani last summer and that was a loan with an obligation. So they put that deal through. I like him. I think he's a, I think he's a very, very promising midfielder. Um, Marcus Turam, I do like, and getting him in a free was very good business. A Serbi on a cheap deal made sense. Now, personally, I wouldn't have him starting, but you know, um, Jan Bissek is very, very highly rated, and he hasn't played a huge amount for Inter. I think he's played what are we, 13 games? So, you know, he's not a regular starter yet, but I do think he'll get there. Uh, Juan Cuadrado, he's well past his best. Jan Sommer has been good for them, but again, he is past his best. Um, Alexis Sanchez, I mean, this is just not a deal I'd be doing, you know. Uh, I understand that he's still capable of some good moments, but like 17 appearances, two goals. Like, why did you bring him back? He wasn't great the first time he was there. Benji Pavard, he suits the back three. He's good on the ball. He's not as good a player now as he was four years ago, five years ago. The Davy Klassen signing, I'm sorry. Like, what, what are you doing here? Like, you're just making a signing for the sake of making a signing. He's played 10 games in all competitions, hasn't scored, hasn't really offered anything. He, he's a nothing player. Um... I do like the signing of Buchanan. I think he's an exciting one. I think he fits well as a wing back. So I, I do think that signing made sense. And obviously they got him for a really good fee. Uh, for Tezzi on loan with an obligation to buy. Love that deal. Big, big fan of him. Emilio Duro, they signed as a depth goalkeeper. I don't think he's played. He's played two games. One of the domestic cup. Uh, Carlos Augusto he looks a player he does, he looks a decent player I hadn't seen a whole lot of him at Monza but he definitely looks uh, looks a player so um, gives them gives them good depth not great going forward I don't think but he's very good in the ball very very good in the ball He's a good crosser. His, his carrying is, is the issue I have. Um, Arnautovic. I mean, I just wouldn't have signed him because he's, he's just a, he's a terrible gang of lads. Um, two goals and 20 appearances. I'd be sending him back as quickly as I could. 
uh, like it's a good squad. Like there's no no doubt. Like if, if you're looking at them for the future, you'd want a new goalkeeper because Summer is 35. So you'd be looking to improve there um, in the defense. They're, they're set up to play a back three. But for me, other than Bastoni, I wouldn't love any of the options. I mean, Pavard is is good. I don't think he's great. De Zerbi's, or De, De Zerbi, De Vries is past his best. Acerbi is past his best. Uh, Bissick maybe, maybe is one that will develop into a, a quality starter. He certainly has the talent to do it. But I'd want one centre-back. Um, DeMarco's very, very good. So you've got him on the left. Darmian, I'm just not not a huge fan of. He's a decent squad player, but he is 34 now. Um, I'm not a big Denzel Dumfries fan. So, I mean, maybe Buchanan makes that position his own. I wouldn't be a fan of Quadrado at this point in his career either. Like again, 35. You'd be getting rid of Klassen. In the midfield, three. Love Fratesi. Love Barella. And if Aslani becomes the third nailed on starter there, if he can, because he can be that, that lone pivot. He can be that six and let the other two play their natural games. That to me is potentially an excellent midfield three. Um, and they're all pretty young as well. I mean, Barella is 26. Fratesi's 24. Aslani's 21. If Buchanan works out on the right, he's 24. DeMarco's 26. So you'd have that. You could have that group for four or five years. You know, Bastoni's 24. Bissick is 23. You add that centre-back. Maybe someone like Scalvini. I think he'd be perfect in that middle role. He's 21. So you'd have that for the long term. Get your long-term goalkeeper. And then up front... I, I wouldn't be having anything to do with Arnautovic uh, or Alexis Sanchez at this point. You've got Laturo as a starter. You need a partner for him. Marcus Turam as depth, as a, as a rotation piece. You'd want one more in rotation. You get one more in rotation up front. You get one centre-back and you get a goalkeeper. And that's that, I think, is a team that could be a dark horse in the Champions League. They've got... A ton of players out on loan. An absolutely ridiculous amount of players out on loan. So maybe there's players within that group who can come in and add, like I think Agume, the midfielder, the French midfielder, I think he can be a vital player for them for the long term in terms of a squad player, not necessarily a starter, but a squad player. Um. Satriano might be the option in attack, that fourth striker. Uh, Valentin Carboni, he's another one that's really, really highly, highly regarded. So maybe he's another option in attack, or maybe you change the shape. Esposito, another one that's very, very highly regarded. Ilyev is highly regarded. Filip Stankovic, maybe he's the long-term future in goal. Who knows? He's only 21. Um, there's the other Esposito as well, isn't there? Sebastian is the, Sebastiano is the one that's kind of the, the big prospect, but Francesco 
um, is is his younger brother, and maybe he becomes a vital player for them. Uh, Eddie Salat Salcedo, I don't know him. I don't think he's had a bunch of loans. Hasn't really done much. Joaquin Correa, they should just be looking to sell him. Botis, the goalkeeper, he's another one that is highly regarded. Like they've got a lot of Zeno van Husden. He he would be a top centre back now if it hadn't been for injuries. I think he's had three different ACL tears. Just really, really unfortunate. But maybe. Like, I mean, De Vries had two ACL players and then had the best years of his career. So maybe Van Houston could do the same. He would fit the middle of the centre-backs because he's lost some of his pace, but he reads the game well. He's a good passer. He wasn't great when he was on loan at Genoa. I haven't seen him for standard Liège this year, but there's definitely there's something about him. Matthias um, and I mean, maybe a backup. Uh, Aris Tanino, Aris I don't know. I don't know him. Don't know him at all, to be honest. Hmm. I do think there is very close to a really good squad there. Like four players, and you're probably you're probably where you want to be. Um, in terms of their sales for the summer, Pinamonte, he was one that people thought very highly of. Uh, he's gone to Sassuolo, but he never really did anything for Inter. Brozovic, I think that was a good sale to get that kind of fee for him. Uh, Onana's one of the greatest sales in history to buy him or sign him for free and then get... 52.5 million euro is unbelievable. It looks like Bolas is actually going to go to Olympiacos, so you can rule him out of uh, of any future for Inter unless they decide to bring him back at some point. Look, the squad isn't far off. Do I think they'll win Serie A this season? Yes, I do, because Serie A is, I think, quite weak this year. Um, it's it's not going to be easy because because Juve are making it tough for them. So if Juve can keep the fight up, then potentially they can they can win it. Um, but they're a point behind having played a game more, and to have that game in hand. So I do think that gives them a big advantage. Do I think they can be a dark horse in the Champions League this year? It's not a great field, is it? I still wouldn't have them in my top three. But after that, maybe. Yeah, maybe. Like with PSG looking questionable, I I don't think I trust Arsenal. I think if Inter drew Arsenal, I think Inter would beat them. Um... There's none of the other Italian clubs. I think Bayern City and Real will be the top three. And then after that, I think it's I think it's anybody's to to win, to be totally honest with you. Um so there we go. That's that into Twitter. Uh 
Okay. This is from Alex. Got a question for you potentially for the Daily Red. I know midweek game will be tough. I know all the focus on Klopp, but I've been wondering since we signed him, what is Cody Gakpo actually good at? I know he actually, I know he scores some goals, but I wouldn't class him as a goal scorer. I also don't think he creates much, don't think he presses well, beats players 1v1. He's obviously a good technical player, but I'm not sure what his actual strengths are. He's an unusual player. I think Cody Gakpo's biggest strength is his ability to knit play, to be a like a conduit from midfield to attack, almost playing as a second striker. The clock player from the past that he reminds me of the most is Shinji Kagawa, which is hilarious because Kagawa's 5'8 and Gakpo's 6'4, but Gakpo doesn't play his height. Gakpo plays like a much smaller player. I think the best role for him would be a 10 in a 4-2-3-1 or as a second striker in a 4-4-2, which is kind of the same role, just depends out whether you play him closer to the midfield or closer to the forward. I think that's the best role for him. But I don't think he's a good fit for a Klopp team. I don't think he is, and I didn't think he was before we signed him. And I kind of got got my head turned a little bit by Moby, um, who was pushing quite hard on, on Gakbo. And I watched a lot of him and I, you know, the ball striking is very good. He's a really good crosser. I give him that. He's a really good crosser and he does strike the ball well, but I agree with you. I don't think he's a big time goal scorer, despite what he did at PSV last season. I think he's an in-between player who needs to play in a certain shape. I don't like him as a nine. I think he's too soft. I don't think he uses physicality well enough, but I do like him. And, and I don't like him wide for us because he doesn't have the pace, but I do like when he gets central and gets in around the striker and kind of plays off them and then makes little runs beyond them. He makes really good off ball runs. That's a big strength of him. I would say crossing intelligence and his ball striking are his three best attributes, but the lack of physicality just drives me up the wall. He's definitely a valuable squad player, but if you were ranking players to sell from this Liverpool team, I think he comes up in the top five. I think he comes up in the top five. Uh, Theo. Should Thierry Henry have won the Ballon d'Or over Pavel Nedved in 2003? Should he have? No. Could he have? Yes. Did he have the strongest case? I mean, it's always hard to compare a striker with a wide midfielder. Nedved was unbelievable in that in that year. Like absolutely unbelievable in the 0203 season. I I do think he's a warranted Ballon d'Or winner. I don't think it's a great robbery. Henri was incredible, but so was Nedved. And if, as I said yesterday, if Nedved plays in a Champions League final, I think Juve win. He'd been ridiculously, ridiculously good in that run to the final, like dragging them across the line. His semi-final performance was just mind-blowingly good. So... Should Henri have won it? No. But could he have? Yeah, very easily. Very easily. 
Which young forwards do you think have the potential to be in the Mbappe Haaland bracket? That's really tough because, like, when was the last time we had an Mbappe or Haaland? We've never really had a Haaland. This was Adriano looked like he might be that player. Um, before that, Ronaldo, mostly for the Mbappe comparison. But, like, those two were no-brainer going to be superstars at 18. But look at the other great strikers we've had in the last 20 years, right? Let's let's start out with Luis Suarez, the best of the bunch. Suarez was playing as a wide forward at Ajax to the age of 23. He wasn't a nine. He only became a nine sort of late in his tenure at Liverpool. And even then, Sturridge was the nine a lot of the time. It was only really at Barcelona that he became the full-time, like, out-and-out striker that we we all were so in awe of. At Liverpool, he was just a great forward player. So, it and, and he didn't, like, he didn't have the, a traditional path. You know, Nacional goes to Groningen at 19, signs for Ajax at 20, takes a little bit of time to get going at Ajax, you know, 17 goals in the league the first season is pretty good, but, you know, it's the second season he really takes off and then the third season he explodes, at which point he's 23 earning his move to Liverpool. So, like, he wasn't as obvious a superstar as as Haaland or Mbappe. Um, Thierry Henry, obviously, you know, comes through at Monaco like Mbappe, wins a World Cup at 21, has the move to Juve, the move to Juve just just doesn't work at all. Joins Arsenal. Seen as a flop. I think it's a fair cop, to be fair, that he flopped at Juve. Not his fault. They played him as a wingback. But that's the thing. He was a winger, wingback. He wasn't a nine. It wasn't until he got to Arsenal and Wenger converted him into that number nine that he really exploded. And again, you know, the first season was good. Second season was good. It's year three that Henri really becomes the great player that we knew. And then he had five unbelievably good years in a row. But at the start of that five-year run, Thierry Henry is 24 years of age, you know? Um, Robert Lewandowski is another one. Like, no one had heard of him when he moved to Borussia Dortmund. He joins Dortmund at the age of 22, and Klopp is playing him as a 10 to begin with, behind Lucas Barrios. Then after that, he kicks on. But again, he's 23, 24. Karim Benzema comes through at Leon, a lot of hype around him. But is he going to be an all-timer? Doesn't seem likely. He goes to Real at 22. Takes him some time to really settle in and establish himself. It's year three at Real before he becomes the player we know him to be. And he was 24 going into that season. Um, I mean, Zlatan was, was one that a lot of people hyped at a very young age because he was at Ajax. But it was, again... 
it, it's it's all from what club you're at. Like if a player is at Ajax or Benfica or whoever has the reputation for developing great young talents, they'll often get more highly regarded than somebody who's at a different club. But I mean, you look at Zlatan and he's 13 goals a season with Ajax in the league. Goes to Juve, 16 goals the first year, then seven. Goes to Inter, 15, 17. Then he's off to the races with 25. Goes to Barca, obviously has a difficult time there. Goes back to AC, Milan, does well. Second season, scores 28 goals. And then he goes to PSG and he just scores for fun. But like, I don't think anyone would have looked at Slatan when Juve signed him and he was kind of gangly and clearly had a really good first touch. But I mean, the player he was compared to was Peter Crouch, similar kind of age, similar kind of, you know, size. Crouch is a couple of inches taller, not, not as well built, but Slatan wasn't, wasn't the like bodybuilder he would later become when he first went there. And he looked kind of awkward at times. Um, so who do I think are going to be the next the next era of them? Like again, this is tough because we would look at certain players and we immediately think, oh, this guy's gonna be a star. And one name that comes to mind is Yusufa Makoko, who at 16 looked like he was gonna be a star, but then he didn't become that player. You know, he might still get back on track. He might still become a great player, but it's hard to know. I mean, I think Hoysland has the chance to be a top, top striker, but I don't think he'll ever be Haaland or Mbappe. El Yawahi is an outrageously talented player. I don't think he ever becomes Haaland or Mbappe. The same thing with the kid who's at Hugo Ekatiki. I mean, massive talent, but I think he's more Martial than Mbappe. I think he could become a top player, but it'll take a lot of work, which, you know, was never done with Martial. With Mbappe, he's obviously put in a lot of work, but it's 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 easier for him. Um, I really do like Matthias Tell. At Bayern, I think he's one to keep a strong eye on. I really like Evan Ferguson for a multitude of reasons, but I think he's definitely one to keep an eye on. I think he's got the potential to be the next great striker. Um, Benjamin Sesco, I mean, he's got a lot of the, the right tools. Uh, David Washington, who's owned by Chelsea, again, very, very talented. But, you know, you look at, like, Moise Keane was meant to be the next great thing. And, I mean, he's failing medicals now. Um, I mean, a lot of people say Luis Appenda. Luis Appenda is 23 years of age. He's older than Erling Haaland. You know? Uh, Dusan Flahovic is older than Erling Haaland. Gincalo Ramos is the same kind of age. Randall Colomuani 
is Mbappe's age. So he's not going to become the next version because he's the same age. If I had to go, I would I'd go Evan Ferguson as one and Matthias Tell as the other. They're the two. They're the two I'd go for. Chelsea look horrible at the moment. Which of their players would you still have at Liverpool? Um, Levi Colwell, for sure, for sure. I'd take Fafana if I knew he could stay fit, but I don't know if he can stay fit, so I wouldn't take him. Um, Caicedo, obviously. There's no question. Colwell, Caicedo, and Kunku. Always taking Kunku. I take Noni Medeki. I take Andre Santos, without doubt. Uh, I'd still take Romeo Lavia. I know he's gone on loan, but I'd take Ian Matson. And I I would actually take a gamble on Mudrick. I would. I just wonder what he'd look like under a real development coach with a real plan because his pace is incredible. And I think if you played him on the right and just simplified the game for him, just gave him a very, very strict mandate. Beat your man and do one of two things. Either drive it low and hard across the face of goal, across the six-yard box, or pull it back to the edge of the box. Don't do anything else. I don't want to see you do anything else. Just take your man on, beat him, and whip that ball across as hard as you can. Just, that's it. That's all I want him to do. And I think he could become a devastating wide option doing that. But I'd want him for very, very cheap. But the other ones, Caicedo, I'd still pay big money for. Colwell, I'd pay big money for. Santos, Lavia, Matson. I'd take Chuck Wemeka. Worth a gamble. But yeah, that's probably it. Right, we'll go to break. See you after this. Right, welcome back. So, thus far, we have very little taking place on deadline day. Uh, Rodrigo Ribeiro has completed a loan move from Sporting to Nottingham Forest, a young striker slash winger. I believe there's an option to buy in that one. And Morgan Rogers has completed a permanent move from Middlesbrough to Aston Villa for 8 million, potentially rising to 15. Um, and that's so far, that's that's pretty much it for the Premier League, other than Mo Dehoud has left Brighton to join Stuttgart on loan which is a really good get for Stuttgart. It just didn't work out for Modahood in the Premier League. He has never come close to reaching his potential. Um, Abdul Qadir Umar joining Hull from Trabzonspor, I think is I think it's a really fun one. I think he could be a really good player for them. He's never hit the levels he was expected to be, but um, still a very good player. Uh, let's see. Peter Musa 
has joined FC Dallas on a 10 million euro deal from Benfica. Um, Frozenon have signed Isaac Viral from Hammerby. Andre Illich is joining Lille. Brian Saragossa has joined Bayern Munich with immediate effect after they came to an agreement with Granada. Uh, Matt Sells is on his way to join Nottingham Forest. So that one looks like it should get done today. He is a pretty decent goalkeeper. Uh, He plays for Strasbourg. It's formerly of Newcastle. He's been a regular for Strasbourg now for the last couple of years. 31, so you you expect he's coming in as the immediate starter because goalkeeper has been a a significant issue for them this year. Uh, Alfie Harrison has joined Newcastle from Manchester City. Magnus Matson is signed for FC Copenhagen. Oh, Ennis Younal is on his way to Bournemouth. So I did say the need for them was a striker, uh, a backup for Solanke, someone that could take some of the weight off Solanke. And it looks like that is what they're doing with Ennis Younal, who's a former Manchester City player. Uh, Valencia are trying to sign Rafa Mir on loan from Sevilla. Lazio are set to sign Ryan Kent on loan from Fenerbahce. They've been looking for a winger and seemingly championship level wingers is what they've been looking for, but they got him. Uh, Brighton have agreed to sign Kalen Vickers from Reading. Very, very talented young player. Uh, Hugo Ekatiki is going to Eintracht Frankfurt loan with an obligation to buy. West Ham have turned down a loan bid for Saeed Benrama. They want an obligation to buy. Leon aren't willing to do that. Ben Rama has actually travelled to complete the deal, but thus far it's at a at a standstill. Um, Alejo Velez going to Sevilla from Spurs on loan. That's good for him. It'll get him minutes, which will help with his development. Uh, thus far, Conor Gallagher is staying put. Arsenal are set to terminate runner Alex Runnerson's loan with immediate effect, and he's going to go to Copenhagen. Um, he's dreadful. So, you know. Um, Stefano Sensi is on his way to Leicester. It's a great get for Leicester. Really, really good. Future Spurs defender Luka Voskovic, the Croatian kid they signed, who's too young to come to England as yet, is going to go to Poland as part of his development. He's going there on loan for the rest of the season. Um, Villarreal have made a bid for Goncalo Borges. Chelsea are looking for a five million loan fee to let Armando Brogia leave, both Wolves and Fulham are interested. Okay. 
Sunderland have signed Romain Mundell from Standard Liège. Morgan Rogers deal has gone through. Um, Teo Carbano, he's leaving Wolves to go to Granada. Bournemouth are getting an Al on a loan with an obligation to buy uh, for 16.5 million. Okay. Adam Wharton has completed his move to Crystal Palace. That was done last night. Werder Bremen are exchanging documents for Manchester United for Isaac Hansen, Arian, the young Dane. Isn't he? I think he's young. I think he's Danish. Um happy with that. Don't know much about him, but I'm just happy to see them signing somebody. Um Lorenz Asignon is on his way to uh, Burnley, it looks like. Loan with a buy option. Uh, Serge Aurier is going to Galatasaray on a permanent deal. Nottingham Forest will be happy to get rid of his wages. Lino Sosa is joining Aston Villa from Arsenal, another young player that's leaving the Arsenal Academy. Myron Badu is going to 20 on loan from Monaco. Now, he was super talented when he was young, but never quite developed well. Um, Byron have also signed Jonah Kasai Azar from AIK for $6.5 Vitinha has gone to Genoa on loan with an option to buy for $25 million. Uh, Brandon Soppy has... Joined Schalke on loan from Atalanta. Mo de Hood's deal to Stuttgart has an option to buy for ten million. It does look like Aurel Mangala is going to Leon for ten million with an option to buy for twenty million. It's a guaranteed option, so it's thirty million um, plus another three million in add-ons. That's a. I'm surprised Forrest are letting him go. But obviously, they're trying to get compliant with the um, profit and sustainability rules. And they do have a glut of midfielders there anyway. Sanger can play that role for certain. Miguel Aziz, another young Arsenal player, leaving to go to Atletico Belares. Sheffield United have reached agreement in principle on Mason Holgate, Matt Sells, Said Benrama. Ornstein reported it was a loan with an an option to buy, but seemingly that deal has fallen through, but we'll wait and see. Uh, Sebastian Haller to stay at Borussia Dortmund despite late Fulham inquiry for a loan deal. He would have been a good get for Fulham. Um, Brohia. Yeah. Wolves have pulled out of a deal to sign Corinthians Yuri Alberto. Agreement in principle was a loan with an option to buy, but it's broken down over finances and 11th hour request by agents for extra money. Agents do just ruin so many different transfers. Aston Villa are in the process of signing Joe Gauci, uh, Australian international goalkeeper. Um, what's John Percy got for us? 
Da, 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 da. John Percy. Um, Matt Sells. West Brom signing Mickey Johnson from Celtic. Uh, he had... Uh, Ethan Hervat is going to Cardiff to replace runner Alex Runnerson. Joe Worrell potentially leaving as well. Um... Forrest still hoping to get Gio Reyna in the door by the sounds of things. Okay, and finally we'll just check Mike McGrath and see if there's anything from him. Sheffield Wednesday were in talks with Orlando City over a move for Duncan Maguire. Sheffield United are in talks with Nottingham Forest over a deal for Joe Worrell. Oh, that's that's a good one. He'd fit well there. I think he'd fit well in that if they go to a back three. And I don't like him. Well, him him and Ahmed Hozic in a four would be good. Yeah, that could work. Um, looks like Kiefer Moore is on his way to Ipswich. Ipswich also trying to sign Marvin Johnson from Sheffield Wednesday. Callum Chambers potentially going to West Brom. Connor Roberts potentially going on loan from Burnley to Leeds. Aaron Collins is leaving Bristol Rovers to go to Bolton. And Manuel Benson could leave Burnley, where he's very much out of the uh, out of the favoured group. Right, we'll just do the last bit of gossip that we have here then, and we'll wrap up for today. Uh, Fulham are considering a late move for Brogia. Uh, Man City want to sign Alfonso Davies. Real Madrid are the current favourites to land him. Spurs are interested in Lucas Bergval. He's going to Barcelona by all accounts. Jose Mourinho would be keen to return to Manchester United as manager. I just I don't believe any of this stuff. And Doni Iraola does not expect Dominic Solanke to leave this transfer window, which clearly he's not going to. Um... Nottingham Forest have resumed talks with Crystal Palace over a 15 million deal for Sam Johnson. Clearly not. Um, it, it's amazing to me that these journalists can just print such lies and get away with it. Um, Aston Villa signing Lino Sosa, um, the young fullback from Arsenal. Uh, Yuri Alberto, that deal has fallen through. Fulham have approached Leon over a move for Rayan Cherky. Okay. Brighton are in talks to sign Brian Hill on loan. Sheffield United have made contact with Leicester over a move for Harry Souther. I, he's just not good enough to play in the Premier League. He's too slow. He's far, far too slow. Uh, Everton are also looking at Souther. Again, he's just far too slow, lads. Crystal Palace are considering a late loan move for Max Cornet. That would be a good get. They need a left winger. That would be a good get for them. Aberdeen could look to appoint 75-year-old Neil Warnock as manager until the end of the season. I mean, is the barrel that empty that you need to turn it upside down and look at whatever's underneath? Let the man retire for the love of God. Just let the fellow retire. He's done enough. He's been a manager since 1981. It's now 2024. That's 43 years. 
he's got his win percentage at 40.9%. He doesn't want that win percentage to drop below 40. So leave him be. And you don't have enough games to get him to the 2000 game managed mark, but maybe he'd take it. Maybe he would. He did pretty well at, at Huddersfield, you know, did pretty well at Huddersfield. So the the magic is probably still there with him. Right, folks, that'll do. I will see you all tomorrow. Take care of yourselves. Bye-bye. Podcast Network.